influential church. I had the great privilege of being there last October. There was like thousands of people over the course of the weekend in his services. This is a large, influential church. But what only is he is a growing great church. Pastor Kevin is just the most incredible, humble, yet anointed preacher leader. I just feel so privileged to know him. I get encouraged by him. There's just a handful of people around the globe that really inspire me in what I do. And this is definitely one of them. What I'm going to do right now is we've got like a 40-second video of Pastor Phil at his church uh, just recently. So if we can spin that now, this will give you an idea of his church, the incredible people that he has there. If we could spin that, that would be great. Hi, everybody. I'm here in Kuala Lumpur at the Mighty CHC Church with Kevin and Esther Lewis here in the Mighty Congregation right now. How good is that? That's their church. Just a little snippet. And they are just full of the most amazing people. But I'm so excited because this is a great man of God who, uh, who really knows uh, how to just tap into God, move powerfully uh, by the Holy Spirit. And he's doing something so great in that part of the globe. And this is a great privilege of us here at Silver this morning. Can we give Pastor Kevin Liu a huge, huge welcome here this morning? Hallelujah. Come on, let's give Jesus a big hand. Woo! Amen. The, the introduction was way too awesome. It's a, it's a bit scary. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, everybody. Before you see it, turn to someone on your left, on your right, say, you look better after worshipping Jesus. <laughs> Thank you. Amen. Oh. See, everyone's happy now. So it's good to go to church. You look better after singing to God. How many of you have had a great week at Presence? Amen. I, I, was, I was so blessed. And, uh, and, and man, it was beyond words. Last year, at the end of last year, you thought how to top that up. <clears throat> and then this year, it just went on one notch higher, if not more. And then it just makes us more excited for next year. Amen. Praise the Lord. Um, thank you, Pastor Hartley and Pastor Nat, for having me. It's a great honor to, to be here, uh, to listen to an Asian guy this morning. Amen. I, I see some of my uh, church members who were from Malaysia last time are here, and they're quite a few Asian. So, yeah, let's get ready. Woo-hoo! Praise the Lord. Amen. If you have a Bible with you this morning, um, I'd like you to turn with me to anywhere you like. All right. Uh, Any page is good. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We can come here to worship Jesus, to just express our love and our gratitude towards you and all that you have done in our lives. Right now, we want to continue in our worship by listening and uh, to the teaching of the Word of God. Father, I pray that this truth will be a revelation that will shape our lives forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone say, Amen. I want to share with you a message entitled, The Journey of an Anointing. I want to share with you how uh, an anointing can begin in our lives, and how it can be passed on to the next generation, and how an anointing could potentially be killed and be destroyed. So in one sermon, I'm trying to expound all that to you from the Bible. Amen? So sit tight, get ready, and uh, there'll be a lot of notes for you to write down if you want to. The Bible says, if you are obedient, if you're willing and obedient, you will eat of the good of the land. In Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 19. The two criteria of being blessed by God is that we ought to be willing and obedient at the same time. Not either one of them. If you're willing and not obedient, you will not eat of the good of the land. But if you are only obedient but not quite willing, you too will not eat of the good of the land. I want to use that as the first scripture to, to lay the foundation of what I want to share this morning because I want to talk about this 
man, this man of God called Elijah. And, and if you read the Bible, Elijah, the life of Elijah began at 1 Kings chapter 17. And it feels like this guy has got, we don't know where he came from. There was no history about him before this. But he burst onto the scene in chapter 17. And verse 1 it says, And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab. So, so right at the start, the introduction of Elijah was he prophesied and he gave a message to a king. It wasn't popular. It wasn't a nice message because he said, As the Lord God of Israel leaves before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. The first prophecy that he got to deliver from God to King Ahab was bad news. That there will be drought in the land for three and a half years. So, but Elijah really was not the first prophet to be used by God. Because in 1 Kings chapter 13, there was another man of God that was used by God. But, but because he was willing but not obedient, his ministry was cut short. We don't have time to go into that, but, but go home this afternoon. You know, read chapter 13. It's a very sh- small passage. And he was asked to deliver a word of God. He did. On his way home, he was being lied to by another prophet. And he was killed. He, he died. Uh, a lion came from nowhere and ate him up. So, thank God we are not living in those days. But the point was not why he was being eaten. The, the point was he did not do what God asked him to do. But in First Kings 17, it was an introduction of this man called Elijah. And in all of Elijah's life, um, he performed there about maybe seven major miracles. The first one was the proclamation of the drought for three and a half years. And then, if you read on the story of Elijah, you, you realize that he, he blessed the widow's oil and the flour, and the, the oil did not run dry, and the, flour, the, the bean of flour was just continuously having supply. And after he, he performed that miracle in that widow's house, uh, the widow's son died, and he resurrected the widow's son. Of course, the famous story of Elijah was the victory at Mount Carmel. Um, there was having a competition, and prophets are interesting people. They had a competition of see whose offering would be consumed by God. So, so there you have Elijah, the man of God, taunting the, the, the prophets of Baal, 450 of them, and, and it was a drought, and there were sacrifices at the altar. So, so everyone was calling on for the God and saying, Consume our offering. And, and, and Elijah is an interesting guy. I, Elijah is really not your neighbor next door kind of a guy. He, he, he's weird. He, he's tough. He's, you just don't want to live next to him, basically. Uh, so, so the prophets of Baal, they, they were crying out to Baal and consumed the offering. Nothing happened. So Elijah laughed at them. He said, maybe your God is sleeping. Maybe you haven't gotten enough attention out of him. And, and, and the prophets of Baal started cutting themselves to get attention from their God. And, and Elijah said, well, nothing's going to happen. He poured water on his offering, which was making it harder to be consumed by fire. And then he called on the name of God, and the offering was consumed. As a result of that, the Bible says Elijah killed 450 prophets of Baal. One guy. Who needs Rambo? If you have Elijah in the Bible. Amen. And uh, who needs whoever, one man that killed all the bad guys these days in the movies, like Keanu Reeves, or whoever. So, so that was it. And then, and then after that, so I'm just giving you a brief overview of the life of this guy. And, and in 2 Kings chapter 1, uh, one day, the, the king... Uh, fell down in his toilet in the upper room in his house. And instead of seeking God to know whether he will be healed, he, he, he seeked denial. And Elijah was upset. So the king sent a captain and 50 men to look for Elijah. And uh, 
Elijah didn't even want to talk to them. Stayed in his house. The Bible said he caught fire from heaven and the fire consumed the captain and the 50 men. He just killed 450 dudes earlier and now 51. The king was shocked. Like, what kind of a man of God would do such a thing? And the king sent another captain with 50 men. And the same happened to them. And Elijah again caught fire from heaven and 51 of them died. By now, 102 people died outside his house. Burned. Like barbecue. And then the third captain came with another 50 men and from far, he said, I know, I know you're a man of God. Please don't kill us. We're just here as a messenger to send a message back to the king. And, and, and so this is Elijah. Amen. You'll find him very interesting. Spend time reading the Bible, study all the scriptures and the background, the stories, the maps, everything. And, and, and get to know about this guy. And, and the last and the final miracle of this guy was that he, he, he was about to be taken up to heaven. He, he was supposed to cross the river. He, he didn't even bother to, to, to get to the other side to cross the river. He just said, I want to cross here. And then he just parted the river and then, boom, went to heaven. Elijah is a very interesting character in the Bible. But, but that's the introduction, the beginning of the anointing of God in a man's life. But towards the end of his ministry, in 1 Kings chapter 19, and this is our main text for this morning, 1 Kings chapter 19, towards the end of Elijah's ministry, he, he knew he needed to pass his anointing to another person. And, and I want you to see this. Verse 19, So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the twelve. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen, ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again for what have I done to you? So Elijah turned back from him, took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled the flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. And he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. So, so, this the, is this the scene. Towards the end of Elijah's ministry, he, he knew he got to pass on his anointing to the next generation. One day he was just walking around the city and around the field and then he saw Elisha. He threw his mantle over him and said, come, follow me. So El Elisha was shocked. Elisha said, sorry sir, can, can, can I just go home and have a farewell party with my parents and then, and then after that I follow you? And Elijah said, oh, what have I done to you? I'm so sorry. Okay, go ahead and have your party. I'll wait for you. And then after he finished partying, the Bible says, Elisha followed Elijah. That's a very powerful keyword here. And the Bible says, he became his servant. That was it. Amen? But the thing is this, after verse 21, you don't read about Elisha again. In chapter 20, 21, 22, until the beginning of 2 Kings. So, what happened to him? He became a servant. He was not given a name card. He was not given a title. He was not given an office. He was not being recognized. We don't read about if it's important, but we don't read about how Elijah trained Elisha. There was no such thing. He, he just faithfully followed Elijah. He just followed the master. Just followed him. I don't know because the Bible is silent. I, I presume he carried Elijah's bag. Amen? Amen? He just followed him. And then Elijah's hungry. So he got to learn how to cook for his master. Because the master says he's a servant. He, he has to do everything. And, and maybe when he doesn't feel like it, he, he said, okay, please wash my underwear. And, and, oh, did I say that? Is it okay? Well, everybody needs them. And, 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 and so, so he, his job was maybe just to wash his master's underwear. Carry his bag. Cook for him. Draw water from the well. And, and do whatever. There was no title. He was not made the assistant executive pastor 
to the senior pastor of the region of Asia Pacific or Southeast Asia or Africa or Europe. There was nothing. He became his disciple. He became his servant. I don't know. We don't know what Elijah had to go through, but, but that was it. And I want to share with you this morning the beginning of an anointing of God starts with obedience and willingness. And that's how Elijah got started. But if you want to draw and receive the anointing that is upon your leaders' lives, that is upon the lives of those that God has been empowered to look after you spiritually, then what do you need to do? The key here is found in that Elijah was being faithful. Amen? Why? Because faithfulness is not a gift. Faithfulness is a character. Faithfulness is something that all of us can have. You can't say, well, my gift is not faithfulness. No, it's not a gift. It is the shaping of our character. He was faithful when it seems nothing happens to him. It was, he was faithful when he's not being called upon. He was faithful when he was not mentioned. He was faithful when it seems like he got nothing to do. Elisha was simply faithfully following his master. And he's learning, he's watching, he's seeing how God used his master. And, and this is the mark of a great disciple, to faithfully learn and serve the leaders that God has put over your life because that is our portion. Are you all with me? And, and, and whoever the leader God has put over our lives, I, I've got tons of stories to share with you, but, but I have, in, in, in my lifetime, I have the privilege of serving under two men of God over my life. The first is the pastor whom I grew up with, and then the second one is Pastor Kong, and, and my, 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 my first pastor just passed away last year. But I have the privilege of serving uh, under Pastor Kong over my life. And... I started the church about 14 years ago when I was six years old. And uh, I know you can guess how old I am right now. But, uh, and and uh, so, so in, uh, in early days, and when Pastor Kong comes to our church, I mean, we all get nervy, right? Uh, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. And, and he, he ran a conference for us at 12 midnight. He... He told me, and he said, I decided to go home, back to Singapore. I want to see my wife. I said, Pastor, there's no flight anymore at 12 midnight. Oh, that's all right. Why don't you drive me back to Singapore? I said, cool, right, if you want to go home, okay, I'll drive you back. So I said, Pastor, why don't you, you go back to the hotel, you change, you shower. I go home, shower. Actually, I didn't go home to shower. I, I, I went home to, to drink six cans of Red Bull. And... Uh, <laughs> And so that I could get ready to drive him back to Singapore. It's not really far. It only takes about six and a half hours. Uh, so at 12 midnight, I, I went to his hotel and drove him home back to Singapore. To me, it's, it's just privilege to drive my pastor around. You never know what will happen in the journey, right? And I, I drive pastor field when it comes to Malaysia. I, I don't let that somebody else have the privilege of driving pastor field. I, I want to be there myself. And... And so this was the, the, the classic story of me driving Pastor Kong back to Singapore. And I told, now, I'm wise. I, I don't want to, because just because I, I, I was driving him, I don't, I don't want to, the whole night, like a Q&A session, okay, Pastor, tell me, okay, rule number one, what should I do as a pastor? Rule number two, how do I grow the church? Rule number three, how do I preach better? No, rule number four, I, I don't want to disturb him. I say, sir, sleep. I drive. So, I started driving like maybe one or two hours into the journey. He suddenly just said something to me. He said, Kevin, you've got to build a strong spiritual structure in Malaysia. And then he went back to sleep. Okay. So, anyway, that was the only thing he ever said to me. And we reached Singapore, sent him back to his house, we went home, and I went back to KL. My wife, every one of us, got to marry awesome wives. Amen. It's always about the great girl, hardly about the great guy. So, so my, my, my wife, when I got home, my wife asked me, so, 
My dear husband, what did pastor tell you this time? I said, oh, honey, you won't believe it. She, he, he told me a very powerful statement. He said, you're going to build a strong spiritual structure in Malaysia. Isn't that awesome? My wife is an engineer. And she said, oh, wow, that's really good. What does it mean? Uh, I said, I don't know. How, how do I know? Like, why did you ask him? He, he fell asleep. I don't want to pastor, give me the interpretation. But it was a great word. I, like, you know what I mean? Sometimes when you come to the front for altar call and then the, the preacher gave you a word, it was a good word, but you don't understand. You, you don't want to be out of place like, mighty preacher, that was a great word, but, but what does it mean? Like, you don't want to disturb the flow, right? So I didn't want to. So my wife said, oh, you're so smart. Since you don't know, then you spend time with God, you pray, you ask God for the revelation. Man, a wife like that, awesome. All right, so, <laughs> so I spent the whole week in my study preparing my message and, 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 and trying to get ready for the weekend. Every day when I woke up in the morning, in front of my Bible, praying, seeking God, I asked God, God, what does that mean? What, what is the meaning of building a strong spiritual structure in Malaysia? It was Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Until Friday, God finally prompted me and said, to answer your question, you are to activate the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the church. I thought, that's easy. We have been praying in tongues. We have visions. We have interpretation of dreams and all that. It's not difficult. So I told God, it's easy. God says, no, 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 no. I don't want you to do that because I know that you're already doing that. I want you to pray for the sick. For a brief moment, I thought I heard God wrongly. Like, praying for the sick? No, God, that's not my cup of tea. So that's not what I do. The leaders that put over my lives are like Pastor Kong and Pastor Phil. So, so what I'm supposed to do, I'm, I'm a pastor. I, talk, I teach about faith. I teach leadership. I teach how to grow the church, but, but not healing. God says, that's what I want you to do. Now, at that point of time, our church was just under 200 people. So anyway, Sunday came and I preached a totally different sermon. And I, I told God, I, I'm the pastor. I got the mic. You can't make me do something I don't want to do. <laughs> right? Uh, I got a mic. And, and, and I finished preaching, did other call, prayed for people. I was closing the service. And I was going to say, all right, everybody, thank you so much. Have a blessed week. See you next week when you come back. I was going to say that. And then suddenly, I... I I this prompting in my heart, that still small voice saying to me, my friend, you haven't done what I told you. I was like, man, this is scary. So, so I want you to know, all this conversation happens in the mind. All right? It wasn't like I'm talking to God. Otherwise, people think that this guy is freaky. And, and, and it was between, it's a battle in, in my heart between me and God. And I said, no, I'm not going to do it. So God said, you do it. I said, God, I'm not going to do it. I'm, I'm not called to, to be like Benny Hinn. You know, I'm, I'm not Benny Hinn. I don't have the white suit. And, and, and by the way, I don't have a Cheryl in my church to play the keys. So, so I can't, hallelujah. I cannot do that. It's not me. It was a very short moment, but this argument was happening. And I said, no, God. And then I told God, God, you know what? The, the scariest thing is, what if I, if I did it and, and, and people came forward and, and nobody get healed and after that, nobody comes back to church? You know, your, your reputation is at stake and not mine. And, and it's your church, God. It's not my church. You know, I will retire next week if, if nobody comes back. So we fought. And then I already said, see you. Then suddenly, I, okay, wait. Then the church was shocked. I mean, we were only a few years into our church life, and, and they're like, whoops. They were about to leave, and then, stop. Come back. All right, then I made my confession. I said, God told me to do something I didn't do. I want to do it now. And I'm, I'm, I'm quite smart. You know, at that point of time, my church, everyone was a young person. So I thought this altar call would be easy. No one would be sick. Because these are young people. So if nobody responds, what can I do? Right. <clears throat> so I asked them to close their eyes. I said, if you are sick in your body today, 
I want you to lift up your hands because God's anointing is going to touch and heal you. Amen. That is one altar call. I didn't want anybody to raise their hand. That is one altar call. I really wish the ushers would be so confused that they didn't know what to do and nobody did anything. So when I say, if you're sick in your body today, I, w- I want you to know that God's power is here to heal you. Lift up your hands. My God, when I, when, when I saw the amount of hands being lifted up, I thought, this church is sick. Like, everyone is ill. Like, so many people. Hands were like raised up everywhere. I was like, God, I'm in trouble. <laughs> to make matters worse, the ushers were so on fire that day, they were like, oh, come, come, brother, brother, come, come, sister, come, 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 come. And then, in a short moment, there were like tons of people in the front. Like, the church was only less than 200, and so many people in the front, there was nobody left standing there. And uh, I want to confess this. Pastors are human too. Amen? So, I, I got the, the band to play, and I was really upset with them. and said, please stay spiritual, man. Like, this could be the last week we're going to have church. <sighs> so I prayed. So I prayed probably the longest prayer for an altar call I've ever prayed in my whole life. I prayed everything I knew, and I prayed everything I never learned. And I prayed in words, in tongues, in Chinese, every possible language. I said, God... You better show up, otherwise I'm dead. (laughs) Building a strong spiritual structure, huh? (laughs) So, everyone came to the front. And I started praying. And I, you know, standard. You always pray from the side. I prayed for the first person. Now, church, I don't want you to fake it. But when we pray for you, please give us some response. I prayed for the first girl. On the side, Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, heal her. She just, like that. <laughs> Every little bit of faith that was left in me just flew off. <laughs> it was terrible. I went to the second person. I think, I think it's because it's a new church. They didn't know, is there something they're supposed to do? The second guy, the third guy, the fourth guy, like, please. I was going to smack the head, but uh, I can't. So I kept praying, 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 praying. By now, almost reaching the middle, I want you to know there was not an ounce of faith or Christianity left on the inside of me. I was so discouraged. I was just going to, all right, whatever it is, just go home, right? And then I got to the middle, and there was this girl that she was already, like, moving. I don't know why, but she was moving. I say, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And the first, this is the first person, after the whole long line, she <coughs> fell. Huh. I was shocked. Wow. And then, and then I prayed, prayed, and then, and then these sides were better. That side's not so good. And... So if you're responding to all the call today, come this side, all right? And prayer. And then now people have a lot of reaction. They, they were shaking. They were, they, well, some of them were crying. Man, preachers, I realized, love to see people cry. And the more they cry, the more excited I become. Like, come on, hallelujah. Now I felt power. And, and that girl that, that fell, she got up. I was so eager. I said, Ma'am, no, not ma'am, miss, she was young. And say, so what happened to you, my sister? Oh, pastor, I, I've got a terrible migraine this morning when I came to church, but I don't know why. When you came and you prayed for me, I felt electricity. Huh, that's a good word. All right, I, I felt electricity came through my body, and I don't know what happened. The migraine is gone. Come on, let's give Jesus a big hand. Hallelujah. And... I got so excited. I said, hallelujah. I, I immediately, I had this whisper with God. I said, God, we can do this together, man. We're a good partnership. And, and, and she was so happy. She was so excited. Oh, hallelujah. And then she went back to her seat. She was like, wow, smiling to everybody. I was awesome. And, and man, after that, who needs Benny Hinn? Come on. 
Kevin Lewis in the house. I felt like I must be the most anointed guy in the church. I was praying for people left, right, and center. And people were coming forward, coming forward. And I was praying, I was praying. People were crying. People were screaming their hearts out to God. And towards the end of the service, um, and then God gave me another word. Now, I told you, right, church wasn't big. It was only about under 200 people. And God gave me a word. There's a person in the church that is losing their sight. I said, okay. On his left eye. <laughs> I'm not a man of great faith, but I said to God, God, why must you say left eye? Like, can we just do eyes? <laughs> I got more chances to hit the right person, right? God said, no. It's the left eye. <sighs> it's a big debate. Like, really, the church is young. I told God, this is tough. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm anointed now. I, I felt the power. But really, I know everyone in our church. There's no one is losing sight. And, and what more? Left eye? Just do it. So I didn't think. I opened my mouth and I said it. Some, some of you, uh, one of you actually, you, losing your sight on the left eye. And I waited for that two seconds. Must be the longest two seconds of my life on earth. Like, and then suddenly, a guy that I know by the name of Lucas, raised his hand, left eye. So he took him a while to walk to the front. So I whispered to him, I said, Lucas, it's okay. You don't have to encourage me. I've known you for a while. I don't think you're losing sight. So you can go back to your seat. And we treat it as nothing happened before, right? Go back. And then he, he started to tell me, say, Pastor, uh, it's actually very embarrassing. I, I never told anybody, and I never dare, dare to tell anyone at work because it might affect my job. Um, I met with an accident, and I, the doc, I just seen the doctor. My, my left eye is losing sight if it's not treated well, which they do not really know what to do. I will go blind on the left eye. Anyway... I said, okay, I'm just encouraged that there is indeed a guy. I wasn't believing God for healing, but I'm just thankful that he came to the front. I prayed for him. And then he went back to his seat, and we closed the service. That's it. I just want to tell you, that's about nine years ago. Lucas is still in church. Perfect eyesight. Come on, let's give glory to God. Hallelujah. The deal was this. After that weekend, the church grew from 200 people to 400 people. And it stayed 400. And then it went 500. And then it went 600, 800, 1,000, 1,200, 1,400. All the way to where we are now, church is about 2,000 people. Come on, let's give Jesus a big hand. Hallelujah. You see, I'm a cheeky Asian, so now just 2,000. So one day, I told God, I said, God, remember our partnership in healing? It's not too bad. Why don't we do it again? Now that we're 2,000, if I do it again, then next week, maybe 4,000 people will come to church. I said this to God in my devotion, not in church. And, um, and then one day, God told me, said, no. We're not going to do this again. I said, why God? It will be the best recipe for church growth. God said, I wanted you to do it when you didn't understand, when you didn't think that you were called to do that, because I want to test your faithfulness. I wanted to know if you will do something that you're not accustomed to do. I wanted to know if you will be obedient. Wow. That was a big lesson. And... Um, and yeah, since then, I've not really prayed. I mean, I've prayed for people all the time, but not really have done a similar kind of healing service again because I know and I know that's not what God has called me to do. God, all God wants from us on the simplest premise is faithfulness. 
And everybody say, Amen. Just learn to be faithful. Learn that when nothing happens to you, when you're not the one that, you know, is called upon to do this or do that, when a promotion skip you, when an increment skip you, stay faithful. Because God is still our God. And then when you look at the life of Elisha, if you read the Bible, when you read the Bible, you realize that after a while, it can get quite confusing between Elijah and Elisha. The names are quite similar, and even the stories are quite similar. And, and you, you, you probably be forgiven if you think that Elisha tried to copy Elijah. And I think probably he did, because <clears throat> Elisha ministered to a widow too. Elisha also blessed the widow's oil and flour, and it did not run dry. But that copying transformed to the anointing of God, journeyed from one man to another man, when Elisha raised the widow's son who's dead. Are you with me? I mean, you can copy the style, you can copy the hairstyle, the costume, the, the music, everything else. How do you copy raising someone from the dead? You can buy a manual and say, this is what you need to do, 10 steps of raising the dead for dummies. You, you can't do that. But the only thing that I know from that moment onwards, it wasn't just copying. The anointing that was in Elijah's life is now transferred to Elisha because remember what Elisha prayed? He said, God, let there be a double portion of my master's anointing over my life. And if you read the life of Elisha, the span of his ministry is twice as long and twice as many miracles as those performed by Elijah. I mean, the attitude is the same. Remember how Elijah caught fire and killed 450 prophets of Baal and the 102 men who died outside his house? One day, you know, Elisha came from a rich family. One day, when he was walking down the street, some 42 youth was teasing him because he was bold. Remember what happened? He called a bear out of nowhere and the bear killed them all. Wow. That was Elisha. I, I want to, as I draw to a close, I want you to know that when the anointing of God is transferred from one generation to another, it is not measured by how many miracles you perform. It is not measured by all these things, but it is measured by the faithfulness of staying true to the call of God over our lives. And everybody say, it's a faithfulness of staying true to the call of God over our lives. After Elisha, Elisha's servant was Gehazi. Gehazi could potentially have four times more anointing than Elijah. Had he prayed the same prayer that his master Elisha prayed, a double portion, he would have four times more than Elijah. He would have done more. But Gehazi never got around to do it. Can I have the musician to come as we draw to a close? Gehazi could not have the anointing of God transferred into his life because he was greedy. He wasn't obedient. Remember Naaman, the Syrian commander who came to Elisha for healing. He was a leprous man. He came, he said, Sir, I need healing. Elisha said, Go dip yourself in the river Jordan seven times and you will be made well. So it all happened and Naaman was healed. Naaman wanted to give a gift to the man of God. Now, I want you to know that it is absolutely acceptable and normal in those days that when a man of God performed a miracle over your life, you give him an offering. Naaman wanted to give Elisha an offering. Elisha said no, because this is not a time to receive gifts. So he said, thank you very much. He took a bit of soil from the land of Israel and went back to Syria. On his way home, the Bible tells us that Gehazi, he ran after the chariots and he caught up with it. That is a very important lesson. Greed 
can cause us to go ahead of ourselves. To receive things that are supposed to be ours, but not to be received at that moment. That's greed. Greed is not just having more. Greed is having more at the wrong time. Then Gehazi appeared in front of Naaman and said, Excuse me, sir. Um, you know, my master's getting old and he can't really remember the schedule of our church program. Next week, we, we actually have guests coming. Uh, we need some change of clothes and some silver. Naaman, being so grateful to God because he was healed, he was more than willing. Oh, take, take more of whatever you need. Gehazi took advantage of his blessing. Took advantage of Naaman's healing from God. He took it. He went back. And Elisha, being a man of God, asked him, where did you go? Oh, no, I was just out in the field praying. Elisha said, didn't my spirit go with you? Didn't I tell you it's not a time to receive gifts? And as a result of that, Naaman's prophecy now is passed on to Gehazi. It's a very sad chapter towards the end because the Bible says, and Gehazi left the presence of God. Today, I want to encourage all of us to let the anointing of God just flow in through, into our lives. You don't have to be especially gifted. You don't have to be especially talented. You don't even have to be outstanding. I want you to know when I was growing up in church, I was not plan A to be a leader. I wasn't even plan B. I don't think I'm plan C. I don't even know what plan I was. I'll tell you what happened. You figure out whether I was even in the plan. I, we were in a youth group. And a small 20 people youth group back home in Malaysia. One day, my leader came to me and said, Kevin, all of us are leaving for our studies overseas. You are the only one left. So, you become the leader next year. <laughs> I became a reserve and the reserve didn't turn up. You, you get what I mean? But I wasn't, you know, when I was growing up in church, I see people playing the guitar. I can't play guitar. You know, I see people singing. I can't really sing. I see people dancing. It, it always felt like I was nobody. But I learned something to be faithful. To be faithful to the leader, the pastor that God has over my life. I, I started serving God as a, as a youth worker. That's what they call it. But in actual reality, I was a general worker. I started serving God and working in the church because the pastor didn't want to reject me and I worked in the church. My first job was to print church bulletins. As a 17-year-old, my first task was not to lead worship, to play the guitar or lead the youth group. My first task was to print the church bulletin. And Man, this is a long time ago. At least 20 years ago. I, I, I'm just trying very hard not to reveal my age. Alright, so, so don't try to... Uh, I know how old is he now. And, and my first job. And, and 20 years back, you don't have photocopy machine. It was manual. We used stencils. Remember that pink color corrector? So, so I have to take the stencil, put into the copying machine, and then I go to take ink and pour ink into the tube. And I use my hand to smoothen the ink onto the stencil, close the lid, use my hand. One turn, one bulletin. One turn. It's, it's not a difficult job. Humbling maybe, but not difficult. But I need to tell you this. 20 years back, the church that I was with, they had 3,000 church members. Every week, I would grind that thing and print out Every piece is handmade by me. Moi was the one who printed every bulletin and fold them up and then put it into the front of the church. Nobody even realized how important those things are or how hard or how easy, whatever. I want to end by, my time's finished, but I want to end by saying this. 
One day, I was in church, just bigger now, with about a thousand people at that point of time. I saw a bunch of ashes from my church folding church bulletins. There were 40 of them. So I went to them and said, wow, you need 40 people to fold a thousand bulletins? So I sat with them. I said, let pastor fold bulletins with you and talk to you guys. Oh, no, 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 no. You're a man of God. You, you take care of the big stuff, you know, and you preach. Get ready. And we fold the bulletins. I said, no, no, no. So I took the opportunity to tell them. I said, don't think that folding bulletins is meaningless. Because it was while I was folding church bulletins 20 years back that I found my first love to serve God in the house of God. I was just folding bulletins. I, I mean, I can still fold bulletins until today. That's where I found my call in serving God. I want to encourage you today, every one of you, special. Every one of you has a special calling in your life that God will use you only if you choose to remain faithful. And everyone say, let's close our eyes. And I'll begin to pray right now. Hallelujah. I want to pray for you today before I go. If any one of you, you heard the message, you knew at some point in your life God spoke to you about serving in the house of God. But you're busy. Maybe life is getting too hectic. You kind of like drop that. But today, once again, you're reminded of that love that you have for God and a call that God has for you in your life. Before I go, I really want to pray for you. I want to pray that God's anointing will rest upon your life. It's not how talented, how gifted, how much you know, how much you can do, but it's all about us availing ourselves to serve God. And so this morning in this place, while all eyes closed and all it's about, if you say, I'm the one, I want to come back to God, I want to serve in the house of God, I want to play a part in the house of God, I don't know what I can do, but I want to do something. I want to come back to my first love for Jesus again. I don't want to be a lukewarm Christian. I don't want to be just a weekend Christian. I want to really come back and make my life count for something for all eternity. In this place, this morning, all eyes closed, all heads bowed. If you're the one, when I count to three, lift up your hands and I'll pray for you. Are you ready, church? One, two, three. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, hands going up everywhere. Anybody else? Lift up your hands and say, God, that's me. I don't want to be a bench warmer. I, I don't want to be a spectator. I want to be a player in the house of God. I want to serve you, Father. God, I thank you this morning for all these hands raised. All my dear friends that have a fresh encounter with you today, Father God, I pray for you to touch their lives right now. Let them renew their love for you. Renew their passion for you, O God. The love for Jesus. The love for the house of God. Bless them. Preserve that calling. Increase that sense of belonging to church, to you, Father. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone say, Amen. Come on, let's give God a big hand for all the hands raised. Hallelujah. So, those of you who raise your hand, if you want to start folding church bulletins, I'm sure if you talk to the pastors and the leaders, they'll be happy to tell you where is that place to fold the bulletins. Tonight, I'm preaching part two of this sermon. So you've got to come. I'm not going to tell you anything, but it's better. All right, God bless you all. See you tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, let's give it up to Pastor Kevin. What an outstanding word. Absolutely incredible, incredible. I'm just going to do something now. Uh, I know this man and I know what he preaches, he actually completely lives. There's no doubt in my mind about who he is as a man, who he is as a servant, even to this day. And right now, what we're going to do, church, we're going to take up a love offering. We're going to honour the man of God here this morning. I'd like you to raise your hand if there's not an envelope near your seat. And I want to encourage us to not let anyone not partake in this as the bucket comes past. It says this in uh, 1 Samuel. It talks about uh, letting the, uh, the elders who rule over be counted worthy of double honour. 
especially those who labor in word and doctrine. The message says, give a bonus to leaders who do a good job, especially the ones who work hard at preaching and teaching. One of the reasons I want to honor this man here today is because, as I said, he's servant heart. And I've, I know the stories. I get to see them. See, last year, there was a, a young couple that left the United Kingdom to go to KL to plant a church under the C3 movement. It wasn't a Sydney Harvest Church. It was a C3 church. And I know what Pastor Kevin and his team has done for this young couple. Pastor Kevin organized a car for them to use free of charge for six months so they could have transport around the city and do what they needed to do. I know a whole lot of other things that he did for this young couple so they could go and start a church and do well. He's kingdom-minded. He does serve, and he's got those, those stories of serving his pastor, Pastor Kong. And I've seen him do it to our very own pastor, Pastor Phil, when I was with him in October. We spent the weekend at his beautiful church, but then the next week was this huge conference. There was like 40 or 50 of like the world's, some of the world's biggest leaders and, and transport to and from the conference was like in a, in a big, big coach. And Pastor Kevin's like, Pastor Phil, I'm your driver this week. You just tell me any time you need me to be at this front door and I'm at the door. So every time we walked out, there was Pastor Kevin and his team. George is with him today, grabbing Pastor Phil's bags seating him in the seat, driving him, waiting for him day and night, whatever he wanted, they were there. One day we, we caught a taxi to the local shopping centre. When Pastor Kevin heard about it, he wasn't very happy with me that we caught a taxi. But I knew how far away they were from where we were staying and it, it's this thing that he has in his life to serve and it's a beautiful thing. And I actually want to serve the man of God here today. I want to bring honour to the man of God. I want us to give a generous offering and sow into what he's doing in Kuala Lumpur at City Harvest Church. So let's grab what we're going to give here today. And as we do this, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to pray over Pastor Kevin, his beautiful wife Esther, their boy Ethan. So let's do that right now. Let's get generous, church. Father God in heaven, Lord God, we thank you for the man of God. We thank you, Lord, for the anointing on his life. I thank you, Lord, for the servant heart he has that you've opened mighty doors for. But I thank you, Lord, he hasn't lost that and he hasn't lost his first love and we pray that him and his church and the campuses that are, are getting planned Lord God would be truly blessed from heaven that they would see increased continued growth and a mighty outpouring of the power of God in that part and all the parts of the city around Kuala Lumpur we thank you Lord God that you're with Pastor Kevin and their great church we love them in Jesus name we all said Amen, Amen wonderful if our service hosts could pass some buckets down the aisle it's been a good anointing here today god is on the move god is on the move and if you did raise your hand before to say i want that first love back